if you think of human nature, how hard is it to convince someone to do something that is seemingly ridiculous <laughs> that mm -hmm. takes seven hours a day, yeah. right. to continue doing it for a year when everyone is telling them it's ridiculous, right. no one is following them, there's no views, there's no nothing. You almost have to be crazy. Chris Suleme. And today, as usual, I sit here with my very good friend, Mr. John Palmieri. We also have with us today, highly unusual. Wicked special. I am so excited. Our good buddy, Mr. Brian Perdue. And uh, we have a wicked, I'm going to use your terminology, John. It's about time. Wicked special guest today. You know, it is quite rare that you get to spend time with an individual that's that's having the expansion and the success um, that this individual is that we have. So we had the chance to meet this dude out in, uh, where were we at, John? Uh, Salon Digital Summit. Salon Digital Summit out in LA. And we had the opportunity to kind of listen to his message basically of, number one, what he's doing actually as a business person, a salon owner, and sort of a pilgrim kind of um, in doing what you're doing. Also the piece where he shared a message about, you know, why he had started a podcast as well. So not only is this guy a multiple salon owner, has a few in the pot as we speak, his organization started to get so big that he wanted to sh get some knowledge to people. And he started to talk about, hey, I started this podcast, by the way, that's called The Hair Game. We're here with the owner of Salon Republic Group, Mr. Eric Taylor. Welcome, Eric. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much. So far, I've heard Wicked, Pilgrim, and Pot. So I think that's a good foundation on which to start the show. Now, are we talking about, I don't think we're talking about the hemp style pot. I'm not sure, but maybe. Who knows? Well, I'm in California, and you guys, you guys are East Coasters, hence the Wicked. You know, our, our version on the West Coast is sick. Everything is sick. Yeah. Yeah, true that. Maybe we can add that to our lexicon. Absolutely. Well, hey, I've, I, I've got to bring the South in here. How about y'all? Okay, so I'm going to throw the y'alls in. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I transfer very quickly between California and the South because I'm from Dallas. Ah, so, all right. Oh, awesome. Awesome. You know what? Cool. It could just be wicked sick. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. You know, I feel like there's so many different ways we can go with Eric because he, he's got his hands in so many different pots. Well, you know, I'm really excited about this podcast because I think Eric's going to help us with a whole bunch of, uh, of information that we'll get to share today. And I'm excited for that. Yet I always like to kind of start at the foundation. And the foundation for a lot of us in this industry is how we got here, um, how you became involved in this industry. Uh, I want to know how you got here because I always think that's a, a great a great discussion. Sure. My story is a little bit different uh, than most people in our industry. First of all, I'm not a hairdresser. However, I've spent my entire adult career in this industry. Started off as, uh, well, I went to college. I studied finance, uh, which was horribly boring. Um, but I had a, a, a certain kind of goal of what I wanted to do as a career. Uh, when I was in college. And this stemmed from the fact that my dad was a small business person, kind of a solopreneur, so to speak, never had any employees or anything, but he had 
uh, I think at his peak, he maybe had three or four warehouses that he rented out. And uh, my mom was an artist, uh, oil painter. From the minute that I was born all the way to the minute that I left the house, I was in an environment where both of my parents would eat what they killed. If my mom painted something that nobody liked, then uh, she didn't bring in money that month. If my dad was unable to rent space in the warehouse, then we didn't eat you know, as good a food that month. And I, heard, I grew up listening to these stories. And uh, so it was always my uh, belief that the way that, that you uh, live, you know, in, in the world and that you develop a career is that you have to bring value to, to a customer doing something. Uh, I never thought that I would get a job for somebody else, uh, working for somebody else. So when I graduated from college, um, I had spent a decent amount of time looking at industries in which I could bring some value as a very young person, 21, 22, 23 years old, um, and I wanted to combine uh, business and art. Now, my older brother did this by becoming an architect, uh, designing buildings, et cetera. I didn't really want to do that because I saw that, you know, he was struggling and he complained about it all the time. I started looking at businesses and um, the salon business was one that I thought was absolutely perfect because it perfectly combined um, something that everybody needed. Everybody needs to get their hair cut until they lose their hair. Um, and uh, it's a great business. And possibly because the fact that everybody needs to get their hair cut. And of course, there's artistry involved in it. So I thought, boy, that that is really, really cool. I really like that. And um, so after I graduated, I moved back to my parents' house, moved back in with my parents, because of course I had no income, no money, no nothing. And um, a girl that I was dating at the time, her hairdresser moved to a one of the first studio concept salons in the country. This is in Dallas. And after she went and got her first uh, service done there, she called me on the landline, by the way, this is in the, this is in the late 90s. Wow. And she said, uh, you got to check out, you know, I, I know boyfriend that you've been looking at different salons. And this is, this is an amazing salon that my hairdresser just moved to. You should go check it out. Happened to be five minutes from my parents' house. So I drove down the street, walked into the salon and the, uh, the guy who developed the studio concept originally just happened to be there. Now this was his salon, so it wasn't weird that he was there, but he was standing in the front and I walked in and I introduced myself and he became my mentor. I worked for him for free for about a year uh, before I decided that this was definitely something that I wanted to do. And um, during that year, I learned a lot about the salon industry. I learned what hairdressers are like. I learned what makes them happy, what makes them successful. And uh, I, I got to love it. It was an environment that I hadn't experienced before. I had had a few internships and jobs at, you know, insurance companies. I, I worked for MCI, you know, for a summer and it kind of sucked. You know, you, you're in an office, everybody's doing kind of boring things the salon environment was really exciting and I really liked it, even though I wasn't getting paid. 
So I decided that this is something I wanted to try. Um, I loved the independence that the studio offered to people. I saw them uh, super happy and loving the freedom and flexibility, et cetera. And so I thought, okay, this is, it's a combination of art and it's a combination of kind of what I've learned by seeing my dad do his um, real estate business. This is what I'm gonna do. So I dropped the girlfriend, moved uh, out to California <laughs> and where the concept um, had yet to arrive. And I put up the first location in 2000, the year 2000. So that was in Studio City, California. The salon is still there. You said that one of the things you learned is you learned what makes hairdressers happy, what makes hairdressers successful. Right. So let me just come right out and ask you, what makes hairdressers happy? Yeah. What makes hairdressers yeah. successful? Yeah. And let's start with happy because I like happy. Yeah, happy's good. Yeah. It's such a huge question. Um, and over the last 19 years, I think my uh, observations and philosophies have changed. You know, there are, and I say this all the time, there are, um, there are really bad salons of every style and there are great salons of every style and model, right? So um, the hairdressers, who were moving in were, were, were gleeful in their ability to create their own environment, whether that's having a different temperature or different art on the wall or different music playing or simply the ability to control um, the, the coworkers around them. If they're not in, uh, in a mood to talk to other people, they wanna focus on their client, they have that ability. If they want to talk to their coworkers, they can do that too. They can work late if they want to work late. So all of those different elements of freedom and flexibility um, seem to, to resonate in a really intoxicating way with those first hairdressers that, that I was meeting. Um, and then just going to more of the fundamental aspect of our industry, um, there's an intoxicating nature to making somebody look and feel great. Mm -hmm. And of course, th this ex expands beyond um, whatever salon model, but it's just about everybody in our industry. You know, their jobs are to make people look and feel great. And so if you do that every day, um, that's kind of a magical thing that I don't think a lot of professionals uh, are, are, are able to say. Yeah, almost no, almost nobody, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. an insurance salesman, you know what? And I always pick on insurance. So there's, <laughs> I, I'm sure I have zero insurance salesman listeners <laughs> by now, but um, we just lost ours. So, but nobody is really excited after they, you know, sign up for an insurance policy, you know, unless they're about to off their husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe in the rare fraudulent case. Right, right, right. right. But, um, but in our industry, I think we're very privileged to have that ability to connect to people and make them feel good. So Eric, you touched on, you know, what makes, what seemed to make people happy, particularly stylists. Um, the second question, you know, you said you learned what makes them successful. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I think that one plays into, into the next uh, quite a bit. W when we talk about success, there's different elements of it, right? There's uh, a lot of success, I think, is happiness, right? Mm -hmm. 
it's not just money. However, of course, you need to be making enough money to be financially um, healthy in, in order to be happy, right? So, there, so aside from just the happiness element of success, there is the, the nuts and bolts of operating your business, whether you're in a commission salon or you've got your own salon storefront or a studio or whatever, um, there are nuts and bolts to, to doing it in, in, a, in a good way that uh, boils down to you making a good income. And of course, that's what we endeavor to do on our podcast, The Hair Game, and, and what you guys endeavor to do on yours as well, I'm sure, is talk about those, those different tactics and the different kind of behavioral elements that boil down to you making enough money to be comfortable and happy. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, so, you know, you, you got to work for this gentleman once upon a time. You said you worked for him for a year for free. I did. That seems like a long time. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Why so long? Like, I, I, you know, I think I would have put in maybe two, three months and then would have said, yeah, it's enough working for free. But a year later, you, you know, you're still doing it. Well, when you're out of college yeah. and you have very little experience mm -hmm. and you're not very smart and you, it, it's a very unique time, right? Your time is cheap. You don't have a whole lot to offer an yeah. employer. Right. You could have been smoking weed in Amsterdam, and instead you decided to put in a year of, of uh, elbow grease to, you know, for something you thought you, you know, really enjoyed. Okay. Well, I'll definitely respond to that. And I think that is something <laughs> that makes me quite a bit different than most other people. And, and the older I get, the more I see how I'm, I'm a little bit different mm -hmm. that way. I... I, w I always had a certain level of anxiety about not being productive mm -hmm. in such a way that justified the great upbringing that my parents gave me. Mm -hmm. So, in, in, and I don't know, maybe guilt is a good word or something like that, but <laughs> I, I was always afraid of feeling guilty and and, and, and not reaching my potential. Um, you know, my parents were great parents. They provided me a great, healthy sort of emotional, emotionally healthy upbringing, um, all of all of that kind of stuff. And I'm not speaking financially. You know, we weren't rich, but but a great, healthy emotional foundation. Now I have kids, so I'm kind of speaking from a parental aspect right now. Right. But I always knew that my parents put a lot of effort into um, you know trying to encourage my brother and I to be helpful, productive members of society. And so, so that kind of boiled down to, to me feeling almost a burden and a duty to, to, to be that. And, um, and, and of course, the downside would be like, God, what, what a loser I am that uh, my parents have put this effort and these resources into me, time, et cetera, and I'm off smoking dope in Amsterdam. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> right. So, <laughs> So I felt like if, if anyone can do it, uh, should be able to do something productive and successful and, and, and be happy and offer something to people, it, it is me. Mm -hmm. and, and so with that kind of sense of burden and duty, I, um, I went off to try to find that. Um, I remember senior year in high, uh, sorry, senior year in college, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was pissing away a lot of his time. 
And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I graduated about a year before I graduated. And he, he said something to me once and I don't remember verbatim, but it was basically like, why aren't you just having fun? And I was like, you know, I mean, I am having fun. However, like, I don't want to be a freaking loser. I don't know how much you guys curse on your podcast, but I, I don't want to be a loser, you yeah. know, when yeah. I graduate, like, like I, I want to actually be doing something. And um, so, so that was kind of when I first started realizing that I was a little bit different and I was kind of using that um, anxiety in order to kind of push myself forward. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I've been that way my whole life and, and I am, I am even more so that way now. Yeah. It's, you know, it's real similar w with, with hairdressers, you know, uh, we've got a hair school, it's called the Kuhn Academy by one, two, four graduates about 80 students a year. Uh, John, I, myself, Brian, you know, uh, a lot of the stylists here get to spend time with those students. And it's it, you, the message you just shared was really so perfect because you can either take that time and really use it and take advantage of the opportunity to be in that space in life, um, or you can waste some of that time. And, and like you said, you know, kind of blow that time off or take it for granted, as we might say. And if you look at the back end of what happens with that, and whether you're a hairdresser, whether you're a, you know, multiple salon owner like you and Brian, whether you're, you know, uh, you can you can make that choice. But if you look at that down the long path, one, one group typically ends up in a certain place and another group typically ends up in the wrong place. And you can do that, you know, now you can take that in every environment, right? Lawyers, doctors, teachers, whatever. Um, but I just, I love the message there because, you know, it was a time in life where every one of us, you know, at our age bracket could say to our son, daughter, nephew, niece, enjoy your time right now. But it pays dividends, you know, if you're if you're a young person listening and you're in, at the start of your career, it really pays dividends to go, you know what, do what others aren't willing to do right now. And you don't know where that's going to lead you yet. I don't know that you knew that you would be doing exactly what you're doing now. You know, you might have had the vision like, wow, there's something I want to do. You know, would it get this big? Who knows? But like take this take this opportunity right now to master or um, experiment as deeply as you can whatever that thing is that you think is going to give you the good outcome. You know, for hairdressers, we talk about mastering your craft and you know customer service skills and blah 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 blah. Um, but the ideology is behind take advantage of the time now. And by the way, every age group, this is the same thing. I'm 46. And, you know, I'm probably w more actively working now or as much as that I that I ever have mentally um, because, like, I know 60 is right around the corner, you know, and um, you can do 60 one way or you can do 60 the other way, you know. So that was awesome. There's a and all of that is beautifully said. There's something that I, I like to think about personally, and I don't talk about it a whole lot, um, but. I, I've always kind of, this has always been a philosophy. I, I think about myself in five or 10 years or whatever, and I think, what would that guy that I want to be in right. five or 10 years, what would that person be doing right now? Yeah. And, and that boils down to every second of the day when you decide, am I going to 
take an extra 30 minutes at lunch right now to watch YouTube videos of memes or whatever, right. or, um, or at night, nine o'clock at night when, you know, you're like, okay, Netflix, or am I going to read that article in, in the, you know, modern salon that, that I saw earlier, you know, that could be of some value to me. Yeah. And, and, and I'm a human, by the way. And, you know, I, I think a lot of, a lot of this kind of motivational talk might uh, sound or feel foreign to a lot of people. Sure. So I, I like to, to um, also to talk about the fact that I'm superhuman, just like everybody else. And oftentimes I'm nauseated by the, by the thought of reading that article that's probably boring instead of watching the super fun Netflix thing. It's not like I am, you know, super yeah. excited, you know, right. to, to read the boring article that could help me. You know, I, I also am kind of uh, turned off and you I have to work. You have to work at it. You have to work at it. You have to work at it. And I think here's the important point. And the one thing that as a 43 year old, uh, I can really deliver, especially to younger people is that the more that you fight through the barrier, that kind of psychological barrier of Netflix versus doing something productive, the more that you fight through that barrier and do something productive, the more intoxicating that becomes because you recognize the productivity, the value of doing that article. You kind of fight through your brain hurting a little bit. Like my brain literally hurts a little bit when mm-hmm. I read, I read the wall street journal every day now. Okay. My brain hurts a little bit when I do it because it's working. It's, you know, but the more I do it, the mm-hmm. less it hurts and the more intoxicating it becomes. It's really a long-term sort of behavioral, you know, habit that that uh, um, is really beneficial over time. So I just encourage those people who might feel that huge friction to just start, you know, five right. minutes per day. Eric, one of the things that, you know, has shown up in the last couple of podcasts that we've done with, you know, successful people like yourself is kind of like this reoccurring theme. And this reoccurring theme is one, <laughs> anxiety led to a little bit of my action, right? I feel anxious about this. I feel anxious about that. And it's, it's led me to take action. The second thing that shows up pretty regularly is the brain, your brain needs exercise, right? For lack of a better way to put it. And you, you know, kind of put a nice, um, a nice finish on it where like any type of exercise at first, you don't like doing it. It makes you a little sore. It's not a whole lot of fun. I'd rather watch Netflix than, you know, go for a run. But the funny part is three, six, nine months down the road, all of a sudden exercise is fun and you miss it when it doesn't happen. But here's the challenge, right? You know, we, we've got a, you know, a bunch of stylists in our locations. You've got a bunch of stylists in your locations. Um, and you see folks who haven't decided yet that exercising their brain is really going to be good for them in the long run. How do you coach or talk to people about that? How do you how do you help them, if not see the value in it, at least to explore the option of, you know what? Because it gets really boring listening to John saying, you know what? Maybe you should read a book. Maybe you should listen to a podcast. Maybe you shouldn't sit out back in between clients and watch Netflix. Maybe what you should be doing is watching, you know, a haircutting video or a hair coloring video. How do you help people? discover that we get asked those questions yeah 
It's a phenomenal question. My answer may not be satisfying, but <laughs> it, it is the it is the it's the answer anyways. It is the answer anyway. I am I am someone who has chosen a part of our industry where I give people the freedom to succeed or fail. Mm -hmm. Succeed or fail. Right. And people do succeed and they fail. So I'm going to do everything I can to give them the tools to succeed to a certain limit, right? Um, in my corner of the industry, part of me being somebody who um, allows them to succeed or fail, um, I'm, I'm only going to charge them a certain amount of money, okay? So I'm going to charge them a limited amount of money and, you know, to work at Salon Republic. And then if there's someone who learns how to succeed, they're going to make everything above that. Okay. That means that I go to a certain extent in helping them succeed, you know, but I don't go beyond that. Right. That's the, that's the, the pact between us and the Salon Republic hairstylists. So, um, the 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 extent to which I go is um, for, for what we're doing right now, for example, is is the podcast. Okay, we put a lot of effort, energy, money, time into uh, the podcast, delivering that information, and then we put it out there for free, and people can choose to listen to it, not listen to it. If they listen to it, they can choose to employ the things that they learn from it, not employ the things that they learn from it, and then they can succeed or fail. We do um, weekly uh, media coach, uh, uh, so, uh, social media coaching, where uh, our team of three social uh, marketing people from Salon Republic go out to the salons and they spend you know a half hour to an hour with uh, everybody who signed up in a particular location. So we do certain things like that. We have weekly education, da, da, da. I don't want to get into all that, but we, do, we provide certain foundations for them to, to grow. But we do not go to Jane Doe hairstylist and say, you have to go to the class on Monday, okay? So the, the pact between, between us and Jane Doe hairstylist in one of our salons is that you have the freedom and, and flexibility to do whatever you want. We're going to provide certain things to you for free, um, uh, you can choose to use them or not. Yeah, it's interesting. We're real. Si I mean, it's it's as I was listening, it's kept very similar. Um, you know, uh, like you you know the amenities that you're giving are are real similar to our right. salon. You know, different delivery system of of you know exchange of dollars. But um, I love you know kind of the ideology behind. The, here's the fact: every stylist that stands at a chair. Um, has the, I like your terminology there, the option to decide to succeed or fail, you know, and all we can do really regardless as, you know, again, whatever style of salon that you work in, uh, we spend a lot of time, effort, energy. Brian puts in a lot of money um, to, you know, to help do education. Not, not everybody decides to participate uh the podcast you know not every, a lot of our audience we've you know we've been spiking lately which has been a lot of fun um and a lot of our audience are people that don't work inside of our group now now our top stylists 
they're always coming back to me going, well, I heard what John said the other day on the podcast or, you know, you said whatever, or boy, I really love that Katie Whitledge or, you know, whoever it was, it was just on. Um, and the, and then some of them that you, you know, kind of wish or, or, you know, are trying to work to grow, um, don't. And so it's, it's a real similar deal. You know, there's, and we talk about this a lot. Shop Talk's named after a book that I wrote, but it's called Shop Talk. <laughs> and, you know, but but we talk about this a lot. You know, there's a few people that are going to succeed. And, you know, our our real goal is to nurture an environment that we have more, you know, we, we gain a higher percentage of that. Um, but at the at the end of the day, it really is their choice, isn't it? You know, it's well, it's our choice. Right? Right. Well, I, you know, when I think about it um, in listening to to Eric, um, to me, we sort of put in, I guess, maybe some guardrails. Eric's guardrail is um, your rent is due and this is how much it is. Right. I mean, and so outside of that, he gives options and they can pick and choose. So we do have um, certain standards outside of, you know, here's your rent um, that they have to follow to establish those standards. But we also, the, again, the similarities is uh, that we provide the framework and the infrastructure and the tools that they can pick and choose. Yeah. We, we, yeah. we aren't uh, the type of salon that says everybody will do this, totally. you know, you will do that, or there's a consequence. Totally. So we allow people. And I, and I say, you know, you really have to understand everybody's everybody's got different motivations. Sure. And that's, again, a similarity as I understand that Eric understands that everybody's got their own motivations. And, and so we're not trying to change that. We're trying to give you the resources in order for you to reach whatever you're motivated to reach. You know, let me, um, since we've got two different business models here, one being the suite rental and one being commission, let me ask you this question from a business owner's standpoint, right? If I'm the salon owner, and I'm going to ask you both this question, we recognize that people succeed and fail on their own, right? Um, and we both have different methodologies for helping people find that way there. And of course, we, we want to give them as many tools as possible to succeed, yet unfortunately, there's going to be that person who's not going to succeed, right? And I think as owners, we're, we're human, right? We look at that person and go, man, I can see such potential in you. I really want to help you grow. How do you know when you've gone far enough that, you know, I want to give this person a little bit more extra help. I really want to help them get over this hurdle. But, you know, I've gone as far as I can go. Because I think for a lot of salon owners out there, they don't know where that line is, right? They continually pour into people, pour into people, pour into people. And that's our nature as stylists. But how do you know when it's time to say, you know what? I've, I've poured enough. I can't anymore. Yeah, this was such a great question. And I've had this conversation many times with both hairdressers and salon owners. Um, I think... And, and I've advised salon owners, uh, you know, commission salon owners and booth rent salon owners and everybody up and down the scale because there's so many different variations of it. Um, you know, and I, and I picture it as a balance between, you know, support um, from the salon owner to the hairdresser and, and what the salon owner is charging you know, whether it's a commission rate or it's a rental rate or whatever. And those, those two things have to balance themselves out in order for the salon as a operating business to be a healthy, sustainable entity. Mm -hmm. So I think I've always advised that 
the salon owner needs to to put in guardrails. Needs I think we've used that word. Um, they need to develop a structure is another way to look at it that makes sense from the philosophical standpoint of the salon owner. You know, what kind of salon do I want to be? What kind of hairdressers do I want to have here? And a financial standpoint. And nobody likes to talk about money in our business for whatever reason. It's highly frustrating. But that, that is just the nature of life, okay? That the, it, unless you want to put a couple hundred grand into your salon and then fail two years later, um, you need to think about these kinds of things and you need to balance out how much am I giving and how much am I charging, okay? And there are salons, there are great salons all up and down the scale from the most supportive commission employment team-based salons all the way to um, the most independent sort of situation for a hairdresser. There's everything in between. So to kind of summarize that, I think, I think a salon owner needs to plan it out. They need to say to themselves, I'm going to offer, you know, X amount of support. And, and that, that could be any, any form of support. And to be more specific and make it more relatable to everybody listening, you know, X amount of education, X type of education, um, and I'm going to put this much money into education. Um, I'm going to put this much money into front desk support, booking, etc. I'm going to have. I'm going to put this much money towards assistance and shampoo techs and da 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 da. I'm going to do all this, and for this, I need to charge this, and that is the kind of salon that I want to run. And then you find the hairdressers who most who want that kind of structure. And there's hairdressers who want the most structure and there's hairdressers who want zero structure and there's hairdressers all up and down that scale. Brian, how about you? How do you know when you've given as much as you can give and you have Well, I, I would say um, early on, I found myself really looking at what I saw um, each person's potential was and I would um, spend my time pushing them to reach the potential that I saw in them. And when I was, um, you know, a new company and I just had a couple of employees, I had time to invest uh, to spend with those people to push them up. But as the company grew, because frankly, when I'm coaching and mentoring and, and going one-on-one, -on -one, you know, with them, uh, if they're doing what I, you know, what, what we're talking about, they'll be successful. But as it grows, you have less and less time. And so um, what that eventually led to was frustration because I spent so much time pushing and pushing. And inevitably, when I wasn't there, what I found is they always fell back right where they wanted to be. And so I had to get to the point where I realized I'm going to stop being frustrated. And, um, and that's when what I say is I set the guardrails. What are the expectations? What are the minimum expectations that we have? That's your handbook. Uh, that, that people follow. And so as long as somebody is um, meeting the minimum expectations and they're happy, I'm fine. Right. That's what I want to know. And that's what I, I want my people that are coaching my managers and, and even you identify what is it that they want in their life. And we will coach them up to meet that. And as long as they're meeting the minimum expectations and they're happy, the only thing I don't accept is going in the back room and complaining about stuff all the time. 
because it's pot stirring. Because at that point, you've got to look in the mirror. Because we are here, we will avail ourselves to your coaching and your training and pushing and helping you. But you've got to do the work. And so, um, so that's it. You know, and and if they say this is what they want, you teach them, you tell them how to do it, you step away. They don't do it. It's not us. It's them. Well, here's the reality: is is um, if I'm pushing them to what I see. And I'm making them do things they don't want to do. They're just performing for me. They're not going to be happy. Right. I may be getting performance, but they're miserable in that performance. Right. And what good is that to anybody? They're going to leave that. Yep. And so ultimately, Eric and I, the commonality is we both want our stylists to come, mm-hmm. to be successful, yep. and to stay with us as long as they can stay with us. Eric, would you agree with that? Of course. That's of course. the goal. And and just uh, and we talked about this before we started broadcasting. It is different models, but there are people out there, just as Eric said, there are, pe- there are stylists out there um, that um, want different things. And what we, the commonality that I hear between Eric and I is, we both want excellence in the way that we build our business, and we want excellence from the people that come there that they want to associate with that excellence. Eric, uh, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, no doubt. And I, and I want to say this, something, guys, I hope that we can get to is, um, frankly, I've sat back very passively because I've been very interested. When I look at your website um, about your company, I was blown away. And when you, I think you said, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're in the midst of opening like six more salons or something? Yes, we're in the middle of a four-week period of time where we're opening six salons. So I would love to hear, I mean, just um, maybe a little bit. Yeah, which is uh, not the way. Which is not the way that we planned it out, by the way. <laughs> is it ever? No. And, and of course, there's lots of life and business career type lessons in there, too. My mentor had a saying, uh, he talked about Schultz's law. And he said, Schultz, would, Schultz said that Murphy is an optimist. And if you guys remember Murphy's law, Murphy said something like, if something bad could happen, it will happen. And Keith used to say that Schultz, Schultz's law was that Murphy was an optimist. Is an optimist. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is so true in life. So the, uh, all these six locations that we're opening right now, some we started the process of uh, you know, negotiating the lease and all that kind of stuff two years ago. In some of these locations, we started the process six months ago. And just as, as it goes in the, in the business world, you can't control the, the, uh, the, how long it takes to get stuff done. And so everything has coalesced into the same four week period of time, which is stressing out the organization, but you know, we're, it, it's gonna make us stronger and the salons are opening just great. And um, you know, we, we've, we start marketing the salons well in advance uh, and then by the time that we open the salon, we move in a lot of hairdressers on day one. Uh, so for example, we opened our uh, Valencia, California location on Monday, a couple days ago, and we moved in about 50 hairdressers. So, uh, and then we'll move in another probably 75 hairdressers, hairdressers over the next six months to a year. And it'll be a great salon you know, going forward. So we're doing that times six and it's it's the way that life is and, and just so that i know are, are you a privately held company or your franchise model i mean um, that's amazing growth thanks it well <laughs> it's amazing growth in this four-week period of time but i'm in year 19. sure so it's 
the the growth, if you look at a curve, it was very slow in the beginning. Um, my first location in Studio City, I I built it. I, I did everything myself. I had no employees uh, for the first many years. I worked at the front desk myself, working 80 hours a week. I laid the floor of the studios myself. I hung the cabinets myself. I cleaned the toilets. I cleaned the salon as like a like our janitorial staff now. I used to clean the salon. Right. I, I, I tell a story about how I finally got this one client to, to go out with me. <laughs> so, you know, being at the front of the salon was really great for a single guy because <laughs> I'm in and out and everything. And, and I was a nice guy. And, and um, so, but I would meet some of them. And this one girl finally agreed to go out with me. And so I took her out and I was going to splurge on sushi and it was probably 9.30 at night and we're sitting there eating the sushi and the conversation's going great. And my phone rings and it's one of my hairdressers who was having an issue. I think it was an electric issue or something. She'd blown the breaker or something like that because I didn't know what kind of electricity to put in the salon. I screwed that up along with many other things. So I, I left this date at the table and I went to go fix the problem at 9.30 at night on like a Saturday. So. You know that that was that was me in this business for the first uh, several years. I think it was in year four that I finally hired somebody else to manage the salon. I went out and I put up our second location, and then so over time we grew very slowly. About every four years, I would put up a location. I would save my money until I had enough, and then uh, I would put up you know the next location. So. 19 years in, we are accelerating growth. Right. Um, we are just now getting a little notoriety. Mm -hmm. Notoriety when Guy Tang started getting notoriety because he, he started in LA in our West Hollywood location. But I mean, as a, as a brand and, and, and me as a person, we've just started getting notoriety maybe, you know, two years ago. Actually, I, I um, I'd love to talk a little bit about that just because, you know, I know some of the people that either were or still are uh, within your organization somewhere, you know, inside of a suite. Um, and I kind of want to turn the tides a little bit towards the no notoriety, the marketing and the social media piece. Um, marketing, because I mean, the more I talk to you, I, I just have to say I'm super impressed by you in this conversation um, for multiple reasons. But uh, yeah, I, I'm guessing like you have a mark back a little bit because people tend to like this um, when I uh, talk about Guy Tang and the, and the story of kind of how he began and, and the story of how he began is really the story of how social media began or digital media in general. Um, and by the way, you, you made mention that I have a media mind or a marketing mind. And, and I would say that everybody listening to me right now is, is listening to somebody who was probably the worst marketing person walking on the planet only a couple years ago, maybe three yeah. years ago. Fair enough. And, and I've evolved from there. So, um, so I will accept your compliment that I'm a marketing mind now. But I think it's important for people to recognize that it was just an evolution for me personally. So going back to, to Guy, we opened our West Hollywood location. It was our uh, fifth location at the time. We opened that in 2011. Uh, 2012 was our first full year. Guy had moved from Oklahoma 
and he moved into um, a studio at, at West Hollywood and he was no one at the time, had no followers, had no audience, nobody knew who he was. And of course, he started twerking on YouTube, right? And, and, and Facebook. <laughs> yeah, and Bri we've been trying to work on Brian's YouTube presence and we're thinking the twerk might be the way to go. That's not gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that would, that would be kind of like the outro for the show. Would be right, right, oh, right, wow, right. the audience would crash. <laughs> so guys started twerking on YouTube and started taking out his phone and we barely had smartphones back then. I mean, the iPhone, we had the iPhone, but it was barely the iPhone, right? And what's with what the big lesson in this story is that all the other hairdressers in my salon back then, and we probably had a hundred, there wasn't one who didn't think Guy was weird. There wasn't one who thought, oh, Guy Tang, he's so cool, he's twerking on YouTube, and that's, that's just what I wanna do. The, mm -hmm. That was the opposite. Everybody was like, who is that weird guy Tang, you know, who works across the salon from me, who's twerking on YouTube. Okay. So huge lesson to a lot of people is to be less judgmental when people are trying out new shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the people who are trying out new shit who are creating the new things. Okay. And so not only be less judgmental to those other people, but maybe you should try out some new shit because guess what? Maybe, maybe people like it. Maybe you'll like it. Um, and life is all about trying out new shit. And if it doesn't work, then you try something else out. But um, he obviously developed a, a huge audience on Facebook, YouTube, uh, YouTube and Instagram. And then all of a sudden people in the salon we're like, oh my gosh, okay, well, the rest of the salon world really likes Guy. You know, maybe I should like Guy too and not think that he's so weird. But that was a multi-year process um, of kind of the behind the scenes of the way that things in digital media actually work out. Everybody assumes that, you know, a Guy Tang, um, it just starts as being this famous figure. Right. But it's right. not that way at all. Um, you know, a lot of these kind of uh, uh, pilgrims, pioneers, are ostracized. And I, I wouldn't say Guy is, was ostracized by the other Salon Republic hairstylists, not at all. However, a lot of them were like, mm. I had a marketing director at the time who was telling me to not get him out. <laughs> yeah tie the Salon Republic brand to Guy Tank back then because right. it, he wasn't putting out a positive image for the industry. Right. You know, I, I fired her because yeah. I didn't agree with her. Yeah. Um, but that just kind of tells you um, human nature as, as it relates to, to people doing new things in marketing. Okay, so and what I love about that is just, you know, the piece is, you, you do have to put, we've, we've been working really hard here actually at that this past year and some stuff you try and it fails, you know, and, and you, and you feel silly about it, you know, and other stuff you, um, but you have to keep plugging through it and, and you have to, I, I wonder if there's a thing where it's like for a salon, you know, we're a multi-location salon. So branding is, you know, we have this established branding, but when is it time to try stuff? 
even if it could be scary for your brand, you know, the and this what your marketing director was kind of bringing up to you. Hey, I don't know if this fits our branding. And you're like, you know what? I don't know. I think he's he might be on to something. Yeah. Obviously, he was. You're talking about business judgment. You're talking about judgment behind creating and growing and sustaining and evolving a brand. Yeah. And it simply boils down to the judgment of the person or the people behind the brand. And that's why brands succeed or fail. That's it. You know, is, is the judgment good? Are, are you, do you have your finger on the zeitgeist of the culture yeah. uh, at large, the zeitgeist of the salon industry culture, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, that's kind of, I mean, I'm going to use a euphemistic term magic, but that's, that's, a, that's kind of where the magic is, is in that judgment. Yeah. Um, Eric, there are two things I want to point out. One is I believe you're the first person to use the word zeitgeist yeah. on a podcast. One of my favorite words. So, I don't use it, but I like it. So thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, um, that's awesome. The second thing I want to point out is you brought something up, which I think is really important, which is social media gives this idea that, you know, Guy Tang was born that way, right? That Salon Republic was only a two-year-old company and already they're doing immensely great things. Right. I think that social media has done some really great things for us, but I think one of the things that it's also created for us is this idea that everything was born yesterday, right? Salon Republic is a 19-year-old company that took them this long to get here. And you laid that foundation work to, to build your success. Guy Tang, I mean, was, how long ago did Guy Tang rent that West Hollywood space from you? 2011, eight years ago. All right. So, you know, it took probably six of those eight to get where he's at now, right? Or, or at least five. And I think we missed that. There's, there's a whole lot of work that goes up front that foundation that you need to build on to grow a successful business, a successful brand, a successful clientele. And I think that, I think we missed that. Another, a couple other anecdotes since, since you bring that up, we, you know, we have lots of other influencers, you know, high, high profile hairdressers mm -hmm. in our salons. And um, I know these guys very well. And I talk to them all the time and the one thing that I find very valuable to deliver from those conversations to the broader industry is just how much time each and every one of them puts into everything that they're doing. Yeah. And, and there's two elements to that. There's, um, there's the early, the early effort. So we already talked about guy twerking and spending all that time putting up YouTube videos when nobody else was doing it. Nobody was following him. So, if you think of human nature, how hard is it to convince someone to do something that is seemingly ridiculous mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. takes seven hours a day, yeah. right? continue doing it for a year when everyone is telling them it's ridiculous, right. no one's following them, there's no views, there's no nothing. You almost have to be crazy yeah. to do that, okay? Yeah. So that's true for Guy, it's true for Philip Wolf, it's true for Alfredo, it's true yep. for, uh, you know, uh, yep. uh, Zito. Yep. It's true for almost all of them. Yep. Um, and then the second part of that is to maintain their, um, the, their kind of status as a producer of content that 
hundreds of thousands of people like to view on a daily basis, it takes an exorbitant amount of time. Nobody knows, nobody appreciates it. The guys don't, and the ladies don't talk about it because it's not very sexy to say, yeah, I edited a video until 2 a.m. I am last night, right? Yeah. It took me eight hours to, yeah. e to edit this video that I just put up, yeah. um, you know, but that is the reality of what these guys are doing. And, and it kind of goes to, um, and, and then one, one other thing that I want to talk about when, when you talk about brand and, and uh, influencers and all that, these guys put a tr and ladies put a tremendous amount of effort into their appearance, okay? Yeah. And nobody likes to say that they spent an hour and a half getting dressed in the morning, mm -hmm. but this is the reality for, and I'm not speaking to the, those specific people, but a lot of the influencers that I know, they put the effort in. They, they put a lot of effort into shopping, into sourcing, the type of clothes, shoes, style, whatever, that is going to give them a certain image um, to cultivate their brand that people like, okay? It is not natural. Nobody is born looking like Philip Wolf. He's super cool. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> and, and it's not cool to talk about how much effort goes into it, but I think it's very valuable for a third person to let everybody know a lot of effort goes into how these people are uh, presenting themselves and delivering this very educational, um, very entertaining sort of content for all the rest of us to enjoy. So um, I, I think that, you know, Instagram especially is getting a little bit more haters happening in the last uh, six months, which is unfortunate. But, you know, to everybody out there who kind of thumbs their nose at a lot of the, the people who, who are really the content creators, um, these guys and ladies are working for it big time. Dude, that's awesome. I mean, this has just been such a great conversation. Um, I feel, you know, I know we could talk forever and we're not, we're not going to do that. You've been super, uh, generous with your time and, and getting on here with, in the midst of what you do. Um, I just, you know, typically what we do is kind of check in on what are kind of some of our closing thoughts. And Brian, I know you've sat sort of oddly quiet, but it was such a, it was, this was such a good conversation. I think we're all sitting, listening and learning and enjoying, but what are your kind of closing thoughts as we're pulling this together, wrapping it up? Maybe anything we're leaving on the table. I guess I was, I was quiet because I was taking it in. And, um, I've, I've, you've said that in the past, sometimes you've got to stay engaged. I'm not used to being the uh, interviewer. Um, and really it just went from the very beginning where my thought, Eric, um, I didn't say this, but listening to your story, like similarities, I went to college, um, and I searched out a mentor and, uh, my mentor, uh, was, uh, Van Council of Van Michael Salon. And, um, and I worked with him for a little bit over a year. And, uh, and he has um, stayed in my life still to this day. Uh, we're, we're good friends. And so that I think the, the first thing is the commonality there of search out a mentor, somebody that is ahead of you to learn from. So that would be the first thing I would say. The second is um, to listen uh, and agree with the, the, one of the last things you said, Eric, is the amount of work or effort that people don't understand. I mean, years for both of us went, and also when you're talking about Guy Tang, the, the the uh, behind the scenes and the years that it takes to put the effort to build the platform that eventually success springs from.
and so many people, and, and John, maybe you were talking about social media, presents it now. Everybody wants it instantly. But success, whatever you want to measure that as, that success comes from laying that groundwork through the effort, through the years, finding the mentors, doing the work, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're successful. People just don't realize what it takes to get there sometimes. Right. Um, you know, one of the things I love is, you know, I've always harbored my inner geekness, right? Um, you harbor that? Well, actually, I don't really harbor it. I brag on it. Um, just checking. Just, just checking. checking. But there's nothing I like almost better than a good Excel sheet is a really good book, a really good podcast, a really good YouTube video. And one of the things I love over the, the last couple of podcasts we, we've done is that reoccurring theme of, of self-education. You know, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a, a book, I mean, I, it doesn't make any difference where you get it. But the impact that I think the last couple of podcasts we've done and understanding that self-education is such a big part of your success and what you're doing, um, I, I just love hearing that. And I hope because we've talked about it in the last enough that people will actually say, well, you know what, maybe I should pick up a book. You know, Maybe I should watch some podcasts. When I listen to one of our staff members say, you know, I, I don't listen to the podcast. And I'll say, well, how come? Well, because I'm in the car, right. and, I, I, and, and I like the radio like while the radio. I'm in the car, right? Yeah. I'm like, you're in the car. car. <laughs> I mean, come on. How many times do you have to hear Taylor Swift's new single? Right. You know, learn something new. Right. You know, and speaking of which, Eric, what's the name of your podcast? Tell our fans out yeah. there. How do we find you? What's the name of your podcast? Because after they finish listening to ours, they can listen to yours That's next. right. That's right. Thank <laughs> you. It is the Hair Game Podcast. The Hair Game Podcast. We're on every podcast platform. You know, I, I, iTunes is the big one because for some reason, uh, I, um, uh, iPhone listeners are really into podcasts. But you know, Spotify and iHeartRadio and everything else, it's it's the Hair Game Podcast. Uh, there, if you type in the Hair Game Podcast into Google, you know, you're going to get our webpage. Yeah. We've got all sorts of kind of functionality. We've got, uh, you can click on a button and leave a voicemail, which we hear, you know, the same day. Uh, we've got a uh, Instagram account called the Hair Game Podcast. Uh, of course, on, on my Instagram, which is uh, Lever Taylor, I have uh, the Hair Game Podcast type things. We have a uh, the Hair Game YouTube channel. And we've got a the Hair Game pod, podcast Alexa uh, briefing on. Oops, I just I just um, initiated Alexa, <laughs> but she didn't say anything. It scared me because her she lit up right in front of me. Anyway, we we have a, an Alexa briefing called the Hair Game podcast, uh, where every day there's probably 30 to 60 seconds of, you know, inspirational clip from an interview that we've done uh, any one of our 105 episodes over the last two years. And so it, it's something we put a lot of effort into. It's, it's become a duty and a, and a happy responsibility for me and, and us here in the office at Salon Republic. And, and of course, as, as you guys know, doing it has kind of opened up our network to people that we never would have otherwise met before right. and it's it's uh it's been really really awesome
Yeah, yeah, we we totally agree, and we'll have links just for the listener uh, of all of that in the descriptor of this podcast. So you'll be able to just click and go right to um, and check out all the hair game stuff that Eric just shared. Um, that was awesome. Hey, Eric, uh, you know, just in the benefit of uh, giving you, you know, J- Brian just weighed in and John just weighed in on some final thoughts. Anything you feel like we're leaving on the table here? Anything you just want to say? Um, Maybe just to to kind of summarize a lot of it and, you know, put my own person and brand on the table um, and, you know, I've experienced a lot of things that we're talking about, kind of looping back to what I was saying about being a marketing person. Uh, I was horrible and I evolved into a, a decent one. And uh, I, I believe that people are not born the way that they're going to be their entire lives. I believe that they're born and then they have the ability to become whatever they want to become. They just need to put the effort into it. So hopefully people are, you know, encouraged to, you know, start taking one step at a time and, you know, just listening to five minutes of the podcast, you know, instead of listening to music and what, and and many people will likely uh, discover what I discovered, which is that sort of, you know, productive use of time becomes intoxicating. And all of a sudden music is kind of boring. Like I, I hate, hate to say it. And, and I love music. I do. I, I, you know, listen to music my whole life, et cetera. But when I'm in the car, I'll listen to a song and three quarters of the way through, I'm like, I want more. Like I, I want a little more stimulation in my mind than the song that I've already heard like 50 times. Yeah. Right. And, and so I, and that's actually how I got into podcasting was listening more and more to other podcasts. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, to our listeners, you know, we just want to extend our gratitude. This was a long one. It was certainly worthwhile. Uh, hopefully we went back and forth and back and forth back to work with you. Uh, and you were able to pull some nuggets from each of those rides. Um, for those of you who've been leaving us some reviews, we want to thank you so much. And if you haven't yet, John has an ask. I checked this morning. We've got 33 five-star reviews. Thank you so much much for those by the way we're actually going to be screenshotting those and sharing them in our instagram page at 124.go so we really appreciate that and for some reason if you've been living under a rock and you don't know this we would really like you to write a five-star review for our podcast share it on instagram stories which would be really incredible um for those of our listeners north of the border our canadian friends wikid means five stars five stars, um, five stars. Yep. so you know write that sucker right now would be great by the way <laughs> just saying <laughs> thanks again for everybody who listened and uh we know you enjoyed this one and we will see you on the next episode thanks, bye everybody, everybody.